0: We will be in Genesis chapter 28. We're going to cover the whole chapter today. Uh, It's 22 verses long. And um, the reason we are going verse by verse through the book of Genesis is because our nation and our world needs to get back to the foundation that God established. Because everything you see on the news seems like everything is totally upside down. And so we're going to get back to the foundation of family, marriage, marriage, uh, truth, all the things that make for civilization to be what it's supposed to be is what we're going to try to strive for. Al, how are you doing this morning?
1: Very good, very well.
0: Are you excited about our bilingual service next Sunday? Sure I am, yes. Al was very instrumental in starting a bilingual service at a previous church, and now he's here he's going to be a big part of that as well. All right, you all can follow along on the screens as Al reads for us.
1: Right. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padam Aram, to the house of Betuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Badam-Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Badam-Aram, to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padam Aram. So when Isa saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Isa went to Ishmael and took as his wife. Besides the wives he had, Mahalad, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed... And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring." Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land." For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven." So early in the morning Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is your word, and we cannot help ourselves to understand it. We need the help of the Holy Spirit of God. So, Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would fill this room and fill our hearts and minds so that we can comprehend what it is you want us to know this morning. Our desire, Lord, our heart's desire is to be like you, to be like Christ. So, Father, I pray that you'll fulfill that this morning. Help us to learn from this story in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, This is what's called a mirage. The road looks wet, but it's actually not. It's caused by heat waves which refract the light in a certain way. And there's all kinds of different mirages that are out there in the world. Um, This one is called a feta morgana. It's a mirage that actually looks like a flying saucer. This one's in Africa. And it's just caused by the heat and objects reflecting in a weird way. Here's another one. At sea, same thing for, for Feta Morgana. It's where objects in the distance get obscured and look like things that they're not or appear. This is one of my favorite ones right here. This is what's called a sundog, and it's caused by ice crystals, and it looks for creates different light shapes around in a circle, almost like an angelic appearance. And here's another one that's really fascinating, and it looks like you have a miniature rainbow. It looks like someone walking towards you, and that object that you're seeing in the middle of it is your shadow. It's caused by the light come from behind you and mixing with the light that's in front of you. It's really weird, but it, uh, these are all what's called mirages. We think we're seeing something that actually is not there, but what Jacob encounters here is not a mirage. It's a dream. It's a revelation, but it's actually happening and God is revealing this to him in this dream that, that Jacob's had. And this is what's commonly called Jacob's Ladder, and it's a fascinating story. And uh, what we're going to see here, we're going to take Genesis chapter 28 apart in four little segments. First, there's the blessing and direction, blessing and direction, and then there's the getting wives to get a blessing, which is not a good thing, as you'll see in the story revealed. Then there's the stairway to heaven, and then finally there's the honoring the house of God. So let me give you some backstory about what's, what's happening here. So Jacob and Esau are twins, right? And Isaac, the father, favors Esau. Why does he favor Esau? Because he likes the food he catches in hunting, okay? That's not really a great reason to love your child and play favorites. Uh, Rebecca loves uh, Jacob more because, just because he's the younger one, he seems to be a mama's boy in some ways, and he, she, both parents are playing favorites. Not a good situation. The older... Esau is supposed to get the birthright, but one day on a uh, failed hunting trip, he's coming home and he's starving. He thinks he's going to die. And he asks his brother for some of his red pottage. He's like, I'll give you some if you sell me your birthright. And he agrees to do so very foolishly. And so he steals his birthright. Then last week we saw that he not only did that, but when they were 77 years old, he stole the blessing of that by disguising himself. Mom was in on the whole plan. And so he put on like uh, animal skin so he'd see more hairy like his brother. He went in. He didn't do a very good job of changing his voice, did he? He's like, man, because dad's going blind. And dad's like, man, the skin feels like your brother, but the voice sounds like Jacob. But he went ahead because he was hungry and it was all about food again with him. And he gave the blessing to the wrong son. But then he didn't want to switch it because he realized It was only wrong to him, but this is who God wanted. And so this is what's happened all along. And now um, the mom says, hey, you need to run for your life because he wants to kill you for stealing not only his birthright, but stealing his blessing. So Esau wants to kill Jacob and Rebecca, what is she doing? She's manipulating again to protect her favorite son. So she goes to Isaac and she's complaining about her daughter-in-laws, but really that's just a ruse. The, the daughter-in-laws aren't the problem, even though they did make their life miserable, we learned in the previous chapter. She's using this as an excuse to, to have him send away her son so that the, her, his brother doesn't kill him. So Isaac called Jacob and he blesses him before he goes off on this trip, which is going to be a long way. In fact, Rebecca manipulating all this, she, she says, go away for a few days so your brother can cool off. But it ends up being 20 years, and she never she dies before she ever sees her son again. The manipulation didn't pay off very well, did it? So, but uh, Isaac's doing two things here that are actually good. He's blessing his child, and he's directing his child. Parents, this is something you want to give. Your children need both. They don't just need your blessing as if you're their friend, but no direction. They don't just need direction, 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 but no relationship with the blessing. He's combining two great elements here, whether he's being a good parent or not. At least the passage is telling us what these two things are. So Ephesians, this reminds me of the verse in Ephesians. says, and fathers, which the word fathers means progenitors, means parents, do not provoke your children to wrath. Isn't that what Isaac has done completely to both sons up to this point? Because he's playing favorites, because he's being selfish, because of all these other things he's doing He's really made his kids mad at each other, so mad that one wants to kill the other. So this is not a good situation. He's showing favoritism. Mom's showing manipulation. They're both showing selfishness. But the rest of this verse here in Ephesians says, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition. It sounds like blessing and direction, doesn't it? And and I think Paul is echoing here, and I don't think it's a quotation, but I think he's echoing here the principles of nurturing your children, loving them, Caring them, caring for them, being a part of their lives, showing affection, verbally blessing them, saying, "I love you, I love you no matter what. I will always be proud of you, I always do, I may not like what you do, but you'll always be my child. All those positive affirmations translate into nurturing and blessing. But he, Paul says, but there's another side of that coin to parenting. You need to admonish them. That means you say, hey, don't do that, stop that and give direction. A lot of times parents can, Go to the default of being hands-off. And many times I see it where they're doing it too soon. Like they're really heavy in the discipline, you know, four, five, six, seven, you know, when they're when they're they need a lot of guidance. But then sometimes 16, 17, and and maybe even older, parents back off, which they should some, but I see some parents back off too much too fast because they want to be liked. They don't want to have any grief from their teenagers because teenagers are more clever about how to give grief, right? And so they tend to back off too much when really those are the years when life can go really go south fast or go in a good direction really fast. And those are really critical years because look at the decisions they're making. Decisions on what career they're going to make, what college they might go to or vocational school, what kind of job they'll take, who they're going to date, who they're going to marry. These our major decisions, it's not a time to back off. Your, your kids need nurture and admonition. They need the blessing and the direction. So let me ask you, this is a good time for you to talk back to me if you want. Uh, how do parents provide nurture and blessing? What would you say? What what, what are good ways that you as parents and grandparents to, can provide nurture and blessing? Go ahead, say it. Lorenzo yeah there is what's another way you can bless or nurture your children Lauren yeah someone once said that love is spelled t i m e that's a great that's good good thing what one more what's another way you can nurture or bless your children oh really? hugs what was the first part Cuddles and hugs cuddles and hugs yes yeah. especially dads with your daughters they need that affection in a good clean pure way so they don't try to seek it out in an impure way that's really Good advice. What are some ways, though, and this is the harder part, right, that you can admonish and give direction to children? Reviewing schoolwork with them. Yeah, I, my parents were like totally hands-off when it came to school, and my grades reflected it. <laughs> I was not a good student. All right. Conversation, yes. Talking things through. Well, what would have been a better way of doing that, right? These are all things that, that parents need to give, and this is a good thing that that uh, Isaac's doing this situation and so here's the direction he's given in this situation. He says, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Now, he's saying that for two reasons. Okay, number one, it has nothing to do with ethnicity. This is not a racial thing. This is about what the Canaanites believe and what they practice. These were not good people. These were people who were sacrificing babies. They were sexually abusing anybody who was weak in the society. It was a really bad situation, and God was going to destroy this race of people and get them out of the land because of their wickedness. The second reason, though, the more uh, pressing reason, is because his wife is throwing a fit, that these Canaanite wives that the other son has are causing a lot of problems. Make sure you tell him, don't do the same mistake. okay? And also, her manipulation was, I need to get him gone before Esau kills him. So that's the two reasons involved there. And he says, and go to Padam Aram, okay?" and here's the, a little map of where, they, where he went. Okay? this is about a 25 mile journey i'm sorry 45 mile journey from bethel up to haran which is and he's going to stop there uh, on the way stop bethel on the way there and it says and you're going to go to the house of bethel your mother's father they wanted to marry you know within the belief system but also in the clan which is what people did at that time and of course we know laban's a bad guy that's going to be in this situation later but the name is mentioned here. And then it says that but God Almighty will bless you. And that he's pronouncing a blessing upon them. And this is the same phrase that God used when he blessed Abraham. He said, The Lord appeared to Abram, his name hadn't been changed yet, and said to him, I am God Almighty, which the Hebrew word is El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. God has everything, God provides everything. So what the reason he chose that name of God here is because you're going to look for a wife. Trust God to provide uh, that spouse for you. That's that's good advice there. We can manipulate things. We can be in a hurry. We can try to date and marry the wrong person, which is life-ruining. But if we can wait for God to provide the right person, then things will be a whole lot better. It says, God Almighty will bless you and be fruitful and multiply, and you'll become a company of people. This was the Abrahamic covenant. About multiplying as the stars of the sky, the sands of the sea, and how we'll become a great nation and be a blessing to other nations. And so it says, may he give the blessing of Abraham to you. The covenant going to go, continue around the generations. And to your offspring, of course, we know that eventually, who's going to be the offspring through the, this godly line? Jesus the Messiah will be. And it says that you may take possession of the land, the promised land. Again, they don't have it yet. They're just sojourners. But eventually, I'm going to give you this land that you're traveling in. Isaac wants Jacob to see that God Almighty is able to provide a wife for him as he miraculously provided him as a son to Abraham, his grandfather. The guy that's speaking was born to parents who were 190. Okay, He was a miracle child. And he's saying, hey, if God could give me... To Abraham and Sarah, your grandparents, God can give you a wife. That's really good advice. Let me ask you, what's your big need right now? What is the empty spot in your life? What is is it that you really want to trust God, El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, to provide for you? And and can you trust him for that? I want to encourage you to keep that in the back of your mind as we continue through this. And do you believe that Almighty God is able to provide? You see, what happens when we don't believe that God will provide? We jump ahead. We start manipulating things. We start marrying people or dating people we shouldn't date. We start taking jobs we shouldn't take. We we start buying things we shouldn't buy. We make all kinds of dumb decisions because we don't trust God. And we don't really believe that he's able to provide. And, you know, we often say this, well, I just don't feel like I don't deserve anything from God. Sometimes because we weren't treated right by our parents, maybe we've been scorned by someone else in a previous relationship, and it affects the way we think, oh, man, I just don't deserve anything from God. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that Jacob did? I mean, he stole his brother's birthright. I mean, he did all kinds of bad things. And so he, he's not in a deserving place. And the truth is, neither are we. That's what's called grace, grace, when God gives you what you don't deserve. And so when we go to our Heavenly Father and we ask him to provide, we're not going there and say, hey, God, I, I really been good this week, you know, you, so you should do this for me. It doesn't work that way. That's religion. Okay, religion says you'd be a good boy and you go to church and you tithe and you do all these things, then God will bless you. None of us deserve the blessings of God. It's all by Grace. When we go to our heavenly Father, he loves us not because we're deserving, but because we're his children. Parents, you love your children, right? Even that one that doesn't behave very well. you love them you may love them even more because they, they need so much and you want to give good things to your children. So the next point here, we see this, this, this idea of getting wives to get a blessing. Esau still starved for the blessing. Remember he, he said, "Dad, do you only have one blessing you can give me last week?" And, and he's like, well, it's already done what's done is done so Isaac sent Jacob away and he went. So he obeys there. And Esau saw Isaac and being blessed. And he's like, okay, so this is what it takes to get a blessing? You got to go get a wife, which he already had some. But he's like, well, maybe if I go get a different wife, he will like me and maybe he'll bless me. And he sent him away to Patamaram to take a wife. So he's kind of, Esau's so desperate. Now, again, he's 77 years old, still living with his parents. Still starving for his dad to say, I love you, I'm gonna bless you. And he sees what he does with brother, and he thinks, well, maybe I'll copy my brother. So, and and he saw that as he as and the way that he blessed him and he directed him, he said, and he gave him that advice, and that's where Esau's getting this plan. So Jacob had obeyed his father, so he thinks, okay, that's how you get blessed. You do what dad says, you get a wife the way dad says, and maybe you'll get a blessing. So Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac his father. He had two Canaanite wives. Mom and dad didn't like them. He's like, okay. Well, maybe I need to get a better wife so that they'll like me. And Esau went to the land of Ishmael. Ishmael's already passed away, so when it says he went to Ishmael, it means he went to the land of Ishmael and he took as his wife, besides the wives he's had. Is polygamy a good thing? <laughs> it's absolutely not. You see it a lot in the Old Testament because it was big in that culture, especially in the pagan cultures. But God is showing you over and over and over again, it's not a good idea. (laughs) It's really not at all. So he takes these wives, but he thinks, well, I'll get closer. I'll take them from Ishmael, who's Abraham's son, which really, again, not the godly line, not the good seed, but he's compromising. He thinks, well, maybe this is closer to what dad wants. And let me just tell you this insecurity is what drives us to seek the approval of others, even an adult seeking the approval of their parents. Let me tell you, the When you are afraid of what everybody else thinks, it's a trap. That's what Solomon told us in Proverbs. It will kill you. It will change everything about who you are and the way that God wanted you to be. You will be morphed into something that is not what Christ wanted you to be and not what he created you to be. Really look at that. Let me ask you a question. What's the areas of your life that you're insecure? Where you find yourself feeling embarrassed or not included or not looked up to by your peers. Could there be an idol hiding behind that issue that you are wanting that to bring the satisfaction in your life and not the Lord himself? The third point here is the stairway to heaven. And no, I'm not talking about the Led Zeppelin song. Although that would be, Zeppelin would be a great name for a boy if you had one. Just saying, you know. Who's old enough to remember the song Stairway to Heaven, Led Zeppelin? Okay, I'm not endorsing it. (laughs) I will tell you, I, I really, my flesh really loves the song. It's it's like eight minutes long, and it's really cool. What's funny about the song is it never was a hit. It never made the charts. It's just like an iconic rock song because it went along with the album. And how many of you remember? Not this will really show some of you. If you played it backwards, it said weird things. Do you remember that part? YouTube that. Okay, no joke. If you played it backwards, it plays. It says weird things. So I'm not recommending the song. Like I said. It's a great rock song, but again, the lyrics aren't great. It has a bad philosophy there. But anyway, but Zeppelin's still a cool name for a boy. I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right. Um, So Jacob left Beersheba. Now, Beersheba was the the place where Abraham encountered God. It becomes a point of, of where this is where God is meeting. Now, God is everywhere, right? But he chooses special places and special times to meet with his people. And so, Beersheba meant the well of the oath. This is where God showed him the living waters and made the covenant. And and Jacob chooses to leave that. There's a picture going on here. And he went towards Haran, which means parched, like the desert place. So he's leaving a well-watered place to go to a desert place. And this is a metaphor of what's going on in his life. He's in a place where he's experiencing the living waters of God, but now he's going to go into a dry season. He's going to go where he feels away from God, like everything's falling apart. And follow this story here with me. So he came to a certain place, again, about 45 miles, and stayed there that night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones, so this, he's taking it, so it's big enough for him to carry, and one of, of the place, and he put it under his head. You, you're, you're in a pretty bad situation where a rock is your pillow. It, again, it's a picture of how hard life is for Jacob right now. And of course, I'm sure he put like a robe or a cloth on it, but still not a, not a great comfortable position to be in. It causes pain, it causes hardness, it causes sleepless nights. You see all what, what, the, what Moses is poetically weaving into the story here. And he dreamed. Now this, the word here, it, when it, the Hebrew word, when it was translated into the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, is apocalypsis. The same word where we get the book of Revelation. It's like a... There's it, more than just a dream. He didn't just eat some pepperoni pizza before he went to bed and had a bad dream, okay? He has a revelation in this dream from God, and it says, Behold, there was a ladder set up. Now, ladder is really a poor translation. Um, some translations you know, talk about a stairway. That's even closer. But really what it's talking about is the old English word rampart. A rampart. A rampart is how... There was two ways it could work. It's, but it's a military device. In other words, if, a, if a, a city was walled in and they had all their gates locked and an outside enemy was attacking them, the quickest way for the interior military to exit was open the gates and be able to march down quickly. And they had the momentum, you know, talk about an uphill battle, right? So they, they'd, be t- talking, they'd be fighting downhill. And so also another way the rampart was used if you wanted to breach a city like you weren't able to climb the walls. So what you'd do is you'd slowly build, um, they would move earth, and they would build up a wall so where they could just walk up and then jump the wall. And so it was used two ways to, to attack the city or to attack from within. But this was a rampart <clears throat> going up into heaven. And again, it's a military device. And when you see pictures of angels nowadays on Hallmark cards, just throw that away. <laughs> These little naked babies with tiny wings on it. Every time... Someone encountered an angel in the Bible. What did they do? They were terrified. They fell down as dead people. These were mighty military agents of God. They Sometimes they had wings, sometimes they didn't, but they were always extremely intimidating. Their appearance was horrifying to people. So what now picture Jacob's ladder or Jacob's ramp as angels, mighty a military moving up and down this ramp from heaven to earth. And you see this, like almost like he, in his dream, he thinks maybe the earth is being attacked by this glowing army. So this, here's, like, this is the best picture I could find. Again, sissy angels here, sorry about that, but they would have been more scary than that. But this is what he's seeing is this stairway or this ramp to heaven. And it says, behold, the angels of God, and the word behold there means, wow, oh, like wow, like stunning, the angels of God, these messengers of God, and they're moving, they're ascending and descending. It's showing that it's making contact with the earth, and it's a two-way street. Remember that whole angel scene, ascending and descending. Make a mental note. We'll talk about that more towards the end. And it says, Behold, the Lord, Jehovah God, stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. So I'm the God of your grandfather, the God of your father, and I'm passing on, I'm going to be your God too. And so the land, the promised land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring. Again, they're just travelers. They're just sojourners. It's not theirs yet. But he's reinforcing the promise that he gave to Abraham. He said, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. So it went from stars to sand to dust, okay, in the number that's being counted here. And to the west, in all directions, your offspring shall be, the families of all the earth shall be blessed. And again, how did Israel bless the world? They gave us all the prophets, They gave us the Old Testament, they gave us the New Testament, and best of all, they gave us who? They gave us Jesus. Right, good job over there. Way to be a step ahead of all the adults over here. Okay, but anyway, so again, he's promising that all the world is going to be changed through you, Jacob. The world is going to be changed through you. Behold, I am with you. That's the best part of the promise right there the presence of God. Okay, he says, and I will keep you. The word keep here means to protect like a soldier keeps watch when he's at his post. And he said, and I will bring you back to this land. In other words, your people are going to leave this land, but I'm going to bring you back. And of course, we know that that's after Egypt, after slavery, after they go through a hard time. He says, but I will not leave you. He's not only talking to him directly, but through him, he's talking to all the people that this promise extends to. This is the first of four beholds. And I want you to watch the progression here as it goes up the ladder or up the ramp, okay? He says, behold, first of all, a ladder. So he sees this ramp. He sees this stairway. And next thing you know is, behold the angels. Look who's on this. My power, my representation here on earth, my protection of you, these mighty angels who are going to protect you, behold them. And then the third thing, behold the Lord. He's at the top. So we go from ramp to angels to the Lord at the top. But notice what's at the apex of this. The most important, you see the progression upwardly as each one gets more important from ladder to angels to the Lord. Here's the most important part. Behold, I'm with you. So do you see that what what God is trying to get Jacob to see? That more important than here's a path to heaven, more important than here's your protection, more important than I'm at the top, the the most important thing is I am with you through this whole thing. I am making this ramp not just a way for you to go up, but a way for me to come down. That's the most important part here. So there's the blessing and direction that that his dad gives him. Don't marry Canaanite women. But then you see Esau copy and think, well, maybe I'll get a wife too so dad will bless me. And then you see the stairway to heaven we just discussed. But that brings us all to this main point, honoring the house of God. That's what the word Bethel means. We like the word Bethel, right? Pretty cool. Good history there. This church... Used to be called Beth El Church before the merger, so great word there. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. So God was there before the dream, God was there before the vision of angels and the stairway, He was there but Jacob was so focused on his problems and so focused on everything that's going run. Remind yourself that he's running for his life. He's been sent away. He's by himself. The birthright that he stole might as well be worthless right now or could be that way. And he's running for his life. He's gone to find a wife. He doesn't have one yet. He's alone. He's in a parched or dry place. And that's why he didn't see that God was already there. So God has to use a dream to show them where, that he's there. Let me, let me just remind you that in some of the darkest, driest times in your life, God is there. And just hold on to that promise. We, we live in a world today that's all about feelings. And if you don't feel something's right, then it must not be right. And you can discover your own truth because it's based on what, how it makes you feel. That's extremely dangerous. You could be with the wrong lady or with the wrong guy, but they make you feel good. If you follow your feelings, you will go off a cliff. Feelings are a bad way, a bad gauge to trust reality. Truth is what you need. And there are times in your life where you need to hold on to the truth. Even though everything feels horrible, you hold on to what God is doing. So what's Jacob's reaction? He's afraid, which is what every time people encountered the Lord and angels were. And then he goes, how awesome. And now we use the word awesome as in everything's fantastic and great. He's like, this is like scary impressive. He's intimidated by this whole thing. That's what the word all means. He's awestruck. And he's, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. This is where God dwells. And this is how, where God reveals himself and God comes out to meet me. And now, some people have said that Jacob is putting too much emphasis on the place. And we can do that, right? You being in this building doesn't make you any closer to God than you being in your car, okay? God can be close to you in either place. There is something, though, different when we as God's people assemble together. So if we give Jacob the benefit of the doubt, the house of God, where you gather with God and God's people, then we might see it that way. But he also talks about the gate of heaven, which we'll talk about more in a second. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone, okay? He took the stone that caused him discomfort and pain, and a sleepless night, and he turned it into a point of worship. And that's what God wants you to do at the hard times in your life. I don't know anybody, and I mean anybody, who said, yeah, you know, it was when I got a raise and a promotion that I just felt really close to God. It's people People say, you know, it was when I was going through chemo. It was when I was going through unemployment. When I was going through a divorce. When I thought our marriage, we were going to lose it. That's when God drew me closest to him. And and Jacob's saying, I'm going to take this stone, which caused me so much pain and so much grief, and I'm going to turn it into something. Here's where God met with me. He made it a pillar. He pulled oil oil on it. And that was the way to sanctify or anoint things. Most commonly, what, what was anointed was people. Kings were anointed as the chosen ones. Sometimes prophets were anointed. But once in a while, places were anointed. And it shows, the oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's pouring over this place, saying this is where God met with him in a special way. And he called the name of that Bethel, which means house of God. Then Jacob made a vow, saying if, and sometimes the word, we even use this way today, if can also mean since. Like Tammy says, hey, I'm going to go to the store and get some stuff. And I say, well, if you're going to the store, would you mind getting me some almond milk? I'm not doubting whether or well, if you're going to the store. Like, I don't know if you're actually going, you know. It means since you're going. So I believe that's what Jacob's saying here. That since God will be with me. And how does he know that? God just revealed himself in a dream. And the biggest part of the promise at the top of it was I will be with you. And because he promised to protect me and because he will give me bread and he'll give me clothing to wear, since he's going to do all these things so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Now, do you remember last week he told, he said to his dad, he said, you know, the Lord, your God. He didn't make his relationship with the Lord personal. And, and let me talk to you kids here this morning. You may be here because your mom and dad brought you here. You say, well, this is their church. I'm going to ch- my parents' church. And, uh, yeah, they believe in God and they do all this stuff. But someday he needs to become your God. And maybe you've already had that day, you know. And I want to, I want, you cannot get saved because your parents are. You're not a Christian because you were born that way. God doesn't have any grandchildren, He only has children. And so you need to trust the Lord personally and directly as your, trust Christ as your Savior. And that's what, I think Jacob, that's what's happening right here. Up until now, He was the God of Abraham, He was the God of Isaac. But today, He becomes the God of Jacob. He said, and so he talks about God's house. And then what's interesting about that, since this is God's house, since this is where God meets with me, I'm going, I will give a full tenth, and some translations say a tithe, to you. Now what's interesting about this, some say tithing. Oh, it's not for Christians because that was under the law. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? Okay. And I'm like, wait a minute, who gave us the law? Who did? Moses. Has Moses even been born yet? So is Jacob doing this because that's what the law says to do? No. In fact, we know that Abraham did this too. Remember, Abraham goes down and rescues Lot from all those five kings and defeats those armies with 318 men. And he gets all the booty and he comes back with all these treasures and he gives a tithe to the priest, Abimelech. Not Abimelech, um, Melchizedek, sorry, thank you. And so he gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Why? Because Moses told him to. Moses isn't even born yet. There's no no law. Some people say, well, tithing is what Israel did. There's no Israel yet. There's no nation of Israel. Why is he doing this? How does he know to do this? Jacob, Abraham tithed before the law. Jacob tithed before the law. So how does men know to do this? Here's why. They knew it because... It was a universal principle. This is what Adam and Eve were doing. This is what Cain and Abel were doing. This is what's been done to, to just recognize that all of it belongs to God, but I give a tenth, from my ten fingers, I give a tenth back to God. This is what people have been doing in civilizations around the world, and I believe, and not only did was it done before the law, during the law, but after the law, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He says, you guys tithe off of even the spices in your yard, He said, and these things you should do but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, like love your neighbor as yourself. So did he say, "Oh, you don't have to tithe anymore; just love your neighbor." Now he said you should do these things. So you got before the law, during the law, and after the law. It's a, it's a, Jacob's doing a great thing. But let me ask you a question: Where was Jacob, believe, Jacob spiritually, before this dream? He's not. He's what has he done? Let's look at the list. It's pretty. His rap sheet is pretty bad. He stole his brother's birthright. He deceived and lied to his father with the help of his mother. His brother now wants to kill him. He's running from his family and now he's in the middle of nowhere. Where's Jacob spiritually? I'd say he's hit rock bottom. And because of all this, he should be feeling pretty poor right now. He should be mourning over his sin. He should be pretty, feeling pretty meek. He's probably hungry. He's probably thirsty. But that's where Jesus wants him to be. Watch what the Lord does with this. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. and another translation, another, in the parallel account of Luke, it says mourn over their sin. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. That means when you're feeling lowly. For they shall inherit the earth. And Jacob's going to inherit a big piece of earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do you understand when you get hit rock bottom, when you are at your lowest points in life, that's where Jesus wants to meet you. You know why? Because when we're proud, we're not really open to hearing from God. We're like, I got this. I got this. I know how to do this. I've got life by the horns. I'm going to be a self-made man. I'm going to be a successful woman. And we just get full of pride. And God's like, okay, go ahead, do your thing. Now, I'm not saying God wants your life to stink. I'm just saying sometimes it takes life to really get really messed up before we're open to hearing from God. And so that's where Jacob's at right now. And none of this would have happened, the dream wouldn't have happened if he had not been in this this, uh, lowly circumstances. So when you come to the place where Jesus is all you have, that's when you realize that Jesus is all you need. Anybody ever been there before? Yeah, I have. I went through a point in my life where... I was walking away from God. I was rebellious. This about 22 years ago. And I was going into a direction that was not good. And God literally took everything away from me. And I found myself on my apartment floor, face down, bawling before God, and even asking God why he hates me. But I knew, really, he loved me. But he had to break me. He had to knock me that way down before I could be humble enough to receive what he had for me. Again, it doesn't always have to be that way. We can choose to humble ourselves, but most of the time we have to kind of end up like Jacob, in the middle of nowhere, away from family, all kinds of circumstances going wrong before we realize that. Jacob was in the middle of nowhere. Like literally, geographically, he's in the middle of nowhere. Spiritually, he's in the middle of nowhere. And you might be in the middle of a marriage failing. You might be in the middle of a career falling apart. You might be in the middle of a wayward child What are you in the middle of? Maybe you're in the middle of any of those things. It was in that place that God promised him that he would be there. That's where God meets us oftentimes in those lowly situations. It was in his weakness that God's glory was revealed. Now pay attention to the words here because I'm going to refer them here in just a minute. It was here that Jacob realized that all he had to offer was not enough. You see, we go to, religion says you go to God and you, you give God things to make him happy. Isn't that what Esau was doing? Hey, well, maybe if I marry the right girl, you'll, be, you'll bless me? And what he's saying is here, no, I just love you for who you are. And, and what you have to give me is not, is not enough. On your own, you're not enough. It was here that God opened up the heaven and came down on that ramp to meet Jacob where he was. The ramp was not so Jacob could get up, but so God could come down and meet him. It was here that Jacob built a pillar and said, the Lord is in this place. God met me here in my meekness, in my poverty, in my weakness. He met me here. There's a song we sang last week, and we're actually going to sing it at the end of the service today called The Middle. And just listen to the lyrics, and I think the, the song will take on a new meaning for you. I think he... There has to be Jacob's, Jacob's ladder involved in his lyrics. You watch with me. It says, can't go back to the beginning, can't control what tomorrow will bring, but I know here in the middle is the place where you promised to be. I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Because all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? As I walk now through the valley, let your love rise above every fear. Let the sun, shaping like the shadow in my weakness, your glory appears. I'm not enough. Unless you come, will you meet me here again? Because all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, dry bones awaken. The Lord is in this place. That's why Jacob had this dream. When he came to the end of his rope, when life was totally falling apart, that's where God meets us. We want God to meet us on the high points. And we're and we like, well, I tried Christianity once and I prayed and God didn't answer my prayers, so I'm done with that. We come to God for who he is, not what he can give us. Because what Jacob's ladder or Jacob's stairway or Jacob ramp points us to is the cross of Christ. And you know, here at Revolution Church, we believe that the Bible is one unified story that all points to Jesus. And sometimes we have to look for the big obvious signs and, and connect the dots to find Jesus. But this, is, this one, it's very clear because Jesus tells us it's about him. Listen to what Jesus says about Jacob's ladder. He said, you, he told the disciples, "said you will see heaven open and watch, the angels of God, what? Ascending and descending on me. I am Jacob's ladder. I am the stairway to heaven. I am what it is all about. That story about Jacob, it's me. And of course, as Jesus does that so many times over and over again. You see, we think we will get to God through our baptism or through our good works or if we're good enough, we we help the poor. And all those are great things. I'm not telling you not to do them. I'm telling you that what you have to offer God is not enough. But he is. Jesus became the perfect man who lived the perfect life. He lived the life that you and I could not live. He died the death that we should have died, and he took our place on the cross. And he met us, he meets us in our lowest point. It's when you come to the place in your life, you say, You know what, God, I'm a sinner. I I deserve to, to be separated from you for all eternity. And so I need a Savior. And you look to Christ. And you confess with your mouth, as the scripture says, the Lord, that Jesus is Lord. Lord, be the Lord of my life. I've tried being the Lord of my life, and I stink at it. Lord, you be the Lord of my life, and I believe in my heart that you raised God, Jesus Christ from the dead. And when you do that, what does the verse say you will be? You will be saved.